0: This is IT Visionaries, your number one source for actionable insights and exclusive interviews with CIOs, CTOs, and CISOs, and many more. I'm your host, Albert Chow, a former CIO, former sales VP, and now podcast host. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of IT Visionaries, and today I have a special guest. Her name is Rithika Gunner, and she is the Senior Director of Product Management of databases at a little company we call Google. I'm not sure if you guys have heard of it. You might, you might have heard of it if you're listening out there. Rithigo, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here today.
0: Listen, I want to know first of all, what is it specifically that you are doing at Google? Because Google's such a massive company. Of course, it's got entertainment, of course, it's got social platforms, of course, it's got search, it's got advertising, it's got all kinds of stuff. But of course, it has, and mostly our listeners, our audience likes to care about is the GCP stack and the list of services, endless services that they can possibly get their hands on. Which realm or where do you sit inside this organization and what are you working on?
1: So when you look at the small part of Google that's called Google Cloud, within there, you can think about Customers who are building out their applications and they need database services or they need to be able to move data on those database services. So, I have the esteemed honor to be the product manager and product activation lead for all of those databases in the Google portfolio. Um, And I know we're going to be talking about some of them, but some of them are like these open source managed databases and Cloud SQL. Um, Some of them are Google innovation databases that not only are available for all of our Google Cloud customers, but really have been built on the backbone of running a lot of the Google services within the broader um, Google ecosystem. When you think about search, when you think about Gmail, all of those, if you look at it, data is that lifeblood. And so the services that we have in Google Cloud on the databases side are founded based on a lot of the problems that we had with other databases that were out there. And so our Google Innovative Databases are part of that portfolio as well.
0: So this is a great question for people who, for example, listen to the show that might not be familiar with infrastructure or backend or database. Maybe some of our listeners are on front end, maybe some of them are uh, working on you know, user experience or there's who knows what people are working on. The world of development is so large. Why is database so challenging? Because we've heard different CTOs, CIOs come here and talk about how inevitably projects, no matter what they are, as they grow, they kind of reach like a point where like where well, your existing database service doesn't seem to work anymore. What is happening as I guess, across these levels of database and why are there so many options? There's like a lot of options, right? <laughs> right? Like, there's, there's a relational native, there's this, type of, like, there's, there's a lot of options to choose from. Give us an idea of what's happening in the space, how it's changing and why that creates so many different types of databases.
1: First of all, I don't think those people are using Google Cloud databases, um, but yeah, <laughs> Of, you know, Google Cloud, we have multiple different databases, and it's because there are fit-for-purpose use cases. I want you to think about, like, when customers start out building an application, and this happens to us all the time with the customers that we have. You don't know whether that application is going to become an overnight success and whether it's going to go from something that pretty much has no workload to it's going to have, like, the workload of billions of transactions per second, which, by the way, some of our databases do have. Or you don't know whether that application, based on whatever the regulations exist or the type of application that you're building, you need extreme availability or you're going to have scale needs or you're going to have... PII needs. And so because of that, there are different fit for purpose kind of databases. And then you have, of course, the relational world and the non-relational world. And I'm sure we're going to get into all of that. But needs change over time. And where you start, what we find is not necessarily where you end up over time. And so that's why this world of databases can get complex at times.
0: Yeah. And every single time new companies are coming up with new innovations, they're going to demand a different type of performance or someone figures something else out. And then they're going to push it down to the database and say, Hey, I need you to do this for me. Give me an idea of what is pushing, pushing the innovation right now. Is it like there's certain industries where I think of that are producing more data than ever before. Uh, Media is one of them uh, where the quality of images and video and footage is just getting preposterous. You know, 4k cameras are loading up footage and they're like, you know, terabytes of data. Just I know because in our media company, we can on a photo shoot, on a video shoot with just four cameras, we can produce more than a terabyte of data a day and we're nothing. Like I can't imagine what like, you know, like broadcasters are producing now. To me, that's a big one. Gaming is another big one. What are some of the industries that I guess that are just pushing the innovation for you guys as well? Like where you're like, okay, we got to keep building for, for this and that and that.
1: I think it's in every industry We are seeing the bounds of what you can do with data being really pushed. Um, And it is one of the things that we're working on. Like if you look at retail and what you're doing, not only with the data that you have, but the data that is outside of what you own. And this is where generative AI is going to apply. And of course, you know, we're going to talk about generative AI when it comes to Google. When you talk when you talk about gaming and what it means to have an overnight success game um, and the kinds of data that you do that when it comes to financial institutions and what it means to build your next financial platforms and augmenting what you have with your data and external data. So I think it's every industry, is actually going through this transformation of what to do with um, the ample amount of data that exists out there. And of course, even making sense of that data, which is, you know, to us, like, what does it mean to actually not only apply AI, but generative AI technologies as well? And I'm hoping we're going to go into that in detail as well.
0: Talk to us about those those needs. Like what are those needs that they're asking for? Generative AI is all the buzz right now. Of course, a lot of companies want to be able to simply query, not only query, they will get an answer, but it's like they want to query whatever they want to query, and they also want you to create the solution. You know what I mean? Like it's no longer it used to be, hey, just tell me, you know, this. Now people are asking for code. They're asking for imagery. They're asking for writing. They're asking for All I don't even, who knows what they're going to ask for. If if, if it can be made, I think they're asking for it. What is that doing on your side? And how do you see this transforming what you and your teams need to build and build for?
1: I'll answer that in a, a couple of different ways in terms of customers are really asking for a unified data platform. And then from that unified data platform, they want to be able to generate the insights that they need. And so I think the way I'll answer that Question is really in two parts. One from the business side, what we're seeing customers want, and then what does that mean from the technology side in terms of what the technology needs to enable. So, you know, our customers need a complete, unified data and AI solution in the market. Like we, we when you think about how customers drive AI and generative AI technologies, your AI is only as good as your data. So being able to Mm -hmm. have that unified data perspective and platform becomes really important. And when we think about it, we want to have a platform that really supports every data use case, And that data use case really stems from, those use cases stem from how you build your applications, how you drive analytics and insights on that, how you embed AI in and around that, and then how you can drive visualizations and predictions. So when you think about each of these, they're not separate, but it's actually cyclical in a way of... As you build AI-infused and AI infused applications, how are you driving those insights? How are you embedding those predictions then back into the applications? And this is really common. And because it supports every data use case, we really support every data persona that exists too. So think about every application developer today really wants to infuse AI in their apps. And that also means that they have to be knowledgeable on what it means to be able to infuse those AI or gen AI capabilities into their applications. And I'm hoping we spend more time on that, what it means to serve the data engineers and the data scientists and the data analysts and the business users and breaking down those silos. This is what we know our customers want. They want to manage each part of that data and AI lifecycle from what it means to have operational databases that support the applications to managing those analytical applications across data warehouses and data lakes, which I know are um, you've heard quite a lot about, to like giving those rich experiences in like the visualizations that exist. So this is kind of how we think about the business landscape. And then within that business landscape, if you are able to provide a unified data and AI platform, it helps you really in a few fundamental ways. One, it helps you break down silos. So when we think about not having to copy data around from multiple different areas of operational data to analytical data, that is one area where we think it's really important. The second is it then makes your people more efficient because you're not moving around data. It costs you less to be able to maintain your platform, to have better governance, to have less friction in like the collaboration around those personas that I talked about. So you start to improve the efficiency of your people and what it means to manage the platform. And you can start to enable this new paradigm of what we call a data product, which means you're fostering a data-driven culture, you're accelerating that time to value and driving insights from the data that you have. So I'll pause there for a moment before I go into like the technology aspects. But what we really see is, this concept of we want to be able to support all users across that data and AI life cycle and all use cases across that.
0: Let's start talking about where this is being most asked for and the technical challenges of putting it all together. So that you mentioned in the very first part is like the first step is putting it all together. And what we're seeing is, and what we know to be true, is that at enterprises all the data, as you suggested, is in disparate systems, probably disparate databases, possibly even in different locations. So let's say, for example, you're in, I like to use uh, my airplane analogy because I feel like everyone has flown. But uh, so you, for example, you will have sales data, your your ticket sales, you have routing data. There's definitely routing data is kept somewhere. There's on the ground floor operations data that's actually tracking like where the planes are on the gates, bags, all that stuff. And then there's also customer service data that's happening. And there's probably weather data that's happening that is going to grossly impact all of it. Right, And so if you wanted generative AI to be able to figure out new routes for you on the fly so that customers had no disruption, imagine landing and you got rerouted, planes, everything ready to go, baggage ready to go, and so you're never none the wiser that you just got rerouted, that would be sick. So how hard is it to make that come true? And then that's where you, step one, put it together. <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, that's a transformational journey, and that is possible, by the way. And I'm going to go into a couple of other things, I kind of talked about, like, to be able to do that, you want to be able to build applications that are infused with generative AI. And as you're building those applications, you want to be able to understand the insights and the analytics from the multiple different data sources that you talked about, and you want to feed that back into your application. Let me tell you some of the things that we have in the technology um, that enable this, especially at Google. So I'm going to talk about Google specifically, but I mean some of the principles are, are generic. And let me—I'm uh, going to go into like why I think this this realm of where we are in generative AI is really going to open up a, a exponential way that app developers can do the use case that you're talking about. So first, like one of the ways that we've built a lot of our Google Cloud is to use a very differentiated architecture. And we really believe this bolsters our long-term differentiation and really helps us accelerate what we're doing in generative AI technologies as well. The first thing is how we've built our, our storage and our compute. They're completely disaggregated and they enable economies of scale and granular resource allocation. And they deliver the most scalable available and cost-effective systems. Now, remember, I told you a lot of this architecture was built on the backbones of we within Google needed an architecture that could do this for the kinds of systems that we built. And so this compute and storage disaggregation allows us to be able to do have economies of scale. And we did this in a way where we then built our own disaggregated storage system that we call Colossus that allows any compute resource to operate in sub-millisecond latencies. And this really is some of the basis of our differentiation paired with our own Google-owned networking, um, which enables the quality of service and the security that we need to be able to have. So this underpins a lot of the database technologies I talked about. Now, if you give me a moment, I'm gonna pair this with why with Gen AI, we can create some of these transformative use cases. So we know Gen AI has captured the imagination of almost everyone. I think a lot of our oh, yeah. listeners. <laughs> and it's really opened up new facets in our lives, like whether we talk about text and image generation, the airplane use case that you talk to, collaboration tools, being able to have Gen AI assisted um, coding. And I'm going to talk about use cases that even we're working on. You know, we believe that Gen AI is key to unlocking um, value in the enterprise, like the airplane use case that you talked about, and it has the power to transform those experiences. Now, why are we entering a new era, we believe, with generative AI technologies? Previously, a lot of the AI technologies that you are talking about were talking about the different systems and being able to create a model that you could use in an application. You'd have to take the different disparate data sources, bring them together. You'd have to rely on your data scientist to be able to create the model that then your app developer can embed within their application. But we believe that we're entering what we call a post-training era. You know, large language models are really democratizing access to ai for the development community. And this means that no longer do developers need to be experts in training their deep learning models, but rather they know they have to know how to take advantage of the LLM. So in the case that you talked about using an LLM for weather data or using an LLM for like customer experience. Now, why is this important? It's important because according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics there are over like 10 times more developers than data scientists. So think mm. about it. That's an order of magnitude, more innovation potential in AI. And as a result, we within Google believe application developers are going to drive a bulk of the innovation when applying generative AI technologies. And these application developers are going to look to embed the power of LLMs and application data to deliver innovation within the enterprise. Now, this is what we believe is the rise of generative engineering or gen-eng. And so just as developers and op practices in in the software engineering world created the DevOps movement, we believe we're seeing the beginning of the gen-eng revolution, which is leading to developers becoming more proficient in gen AI.
0: First of all, that's uh, literally wrote in my notes, that's sick. (laughs) Okay, I love that. I'm going to paraphrase because I always want to make sure that I'm actually understanding what I think I've heard. (laughs) Absolutely. You mentioned that there's a 10x of magnitude of developers versus actual data scientists. And in the past, it used to be the data scientist who was writing the model that would write the that write build the connections so that the language so that a person could then make simple queries and get great answers. But in the future. The AI itself will be in the engineer or the possibly in the data stack. So as long as I have the source data, I could then possibly not have to be a data scientist. I could then query it based upon, like you said, LLMs to the point where it wouldn't I wouldn't need to program it. So like if you were, if I was an application developer that just got, I mean not just got hired, but you know, I work for the airline and I want to do something really cool with the baggage handling, how we're going to route the bags. I could possibly not have to teach it what I want and just ask it questions. And it could build for me the information sources or the structures that I need in order to make my application work, which would eliminate, I mean, it would eliminate months of work, months. I, I can't imagine how much work it would eliminate. It would eliminate months at least. And I don't know how many people, <laughs> like, it would, like it would help solve for, like it's, it's, what I'm hearing is that It's like skipping the promise of what low-code, like, remember low-code was kind of this promise where, hey, you won't need to be an engineer, you'll be able to connect up data sources through like WYSIWYGs. Now you're saying, hey, not only will it be connected, but you'll be able to like query it and run, like you said, generate answers from it without actually having to know how to write an LLM. Am I hearing that correctly?
1: Yeah, you don't have to be knowledgeable in the expertise of the AI to be able to embed it as part of your application. So remember, like the power of LLMs, it's a large language model. Sure. Those large language models have APIs that can be embedded within your application. And so you don't need necessarily the data scientist to be able to leverage these LLMs. Now, so you're absolutely correct there, but I'm going to throw a kink into it. With the rise of this GenEng notion that we're now putting the power in the hands of the app developer, who, where there are 10x more app developers today than data scientists, the real value for enterprises comes when these developers can now combine generative AI, so the large language model that we talked about, with their proprietary data to be able to create accurate domain-specific experiences. So in your airplane example, if I can take data that may be encoded in the LLM, like weather, like patterns and traffic, with something very specific with the airline itself, what my baggage handling looks like for my specific airlines or whatever those things that are specific to the airline, now the power is combining these large language models with accurate domain-specific experiences. And that's a lot of the work that our team is doing in databases because operational databases usually sit at the heart of application data. And they play a very critical role in how developers build these AI-assisted customer experiences. So now taking LLMs and your data becomes extremely important. And this is where we're doing a lot of work to be able to have this intersection of LLMs and customers' data that sits in their operational databases.
0: When I hear that, I think to the holy grail of uh, of AI and humanity. In it, it, I often go to health health issues and health outcomes, and I'm thinking of a world where people are possibly because I'll give you an example that I had that was really painful to go through. Um, And then I think anyone who's lived long enough will have a similar story like this. But when my mom was at her sickest point and, you know, suffering through going through uh, cancer, she would constantly have to get tested. And then someone would order, um, you know, a different farm pharmaceutical blend and I'd have to go pick it up. Like it was it was a lot of work, just a lot of work, to take my mom to the the nurse, the nurse to get the order in, me to go to the pharmacy. The pharmacy didn't have the product, or, and like call another pharmacy. And like, you know, anyone who's been there knows that you're basically like just driving around, watching people say, "I don't have the information," like looking <laughs> there, and it's it's just painful. And. You know, I'm, I'm picturing, like, is there a world where the way you're describing this, where it's because you said it's like it's tailored to me, right? Or tailored to my industry, or tailored to like me, there's nothing more specific to me than my own health outcomes. And it using that information plus possibly inventory stock information plus possibly biosignals, pharmaceutical information. And is there a world in the future where like we're not running around scrambling to different pharmacies because it's almost preemptive like it's figuring out for us like hey you need this I'm gonna order it for you it's gonna be here I check the stock it's gonna be there I mean I know that's very complicated because there's other providers involved in there but when I think about that that little piece that you said like it's very tailored to the you like your data specifically I always jump to health and so I wanted to stop there because before I go on too long but like is that like a goal? Do you hear of companies having this goal because this would be crazy.
1: We definitely work with customers where that is the goal, and they can use a lot of the beauty of a large language model that has been trained on um, a large corpus of data, and then they can take that large corpus of data and they can augment it with the data that sits in their databases for their domain and really tailor to give you that domain-specific experience based on what the customer has and what the customer knows in their operational stores with what exists in the llm
0: give us an idea you know this this is super exciting so you gen generative engineering or gen eng is what rithika has referred to this as is this a google term or is this an industry term like people are saying gen angel it
1: is something that we started probably the last few months so right now google has put out and i can send some of your listeners and you, a blog that we wrote on. Oh, we'll
0: link it up. We'll, we'll link, link it up. It
1: up. Um, but GenEng is, we we really call it the rise of GenEng, and we hope that it catches on because we do believe that this is where the world is going. Now, I'll give you like a view, like today, when you look at it, applications face a, especially enterprise applications, face a variety of challenges that these large language models alone can address. I talked to you about because large language models are trained at a period of time, sometimes they have accuracy or relevance sure. um, issues. Like they're not trained to the most up-to-date information. You need to augment that LLM to be like, train it up to current data. The second thing is like, they're not really based in your data. So you and I talked about like your health example, your pharmacy has data about you how do you take an LLM and then augment that with the data the pharmacy has on what you specifically need? So the contextual user experiences become really important. And the mm-hmm. third thing is, like, they really need to be easy. If we're really going to see this network effect of how GenEng takes off, it needs to be simple for the app developer to build and operate and to be able to augment with like their data. And so this is why we think like your operational data is really that bridges the gap between large language models and these enterprise gen AI apps that need to be created.
0: All right. So now let's talk about, that's the dream state. Let's talk about how do you solve this in the short term, right? So like the actual technical engineering, that's going to go involved on the software level, as well as I'm assuming on a hardware base. like Is the hardware answered for? Like you guys have the hardware? It's just a matter of getting the software to do the things that you need to do. Give us an idea of the technical challenges that are in front of you because the ask is great. The dream state, I love it. I see it. Can't wait. How do we get there?
1: <laughs> yeah. So I'll give you a little bit on the technical side on what we're doing. I talked to you already about a lot of the infrastructure things that we've invested in, in terms of our storage or compute layers and how we've architected some of the innovations that we've done in Google, that's been a foundation that has kind of led us up to the journey of where we are right now. And when we think about kind of the, th- the things that I, that I talked about of providing the most up-to-date data, first, to be able to provide the most up-to-date data for LLMs, it means that you want to ground these LLMs, um, these large language models, for accuracy, they need to be as accurate as possible, and they need to be as relevant as possible. So the first thing, and, and you probably have heard a lot about this, is we want to be able to combine data in your production databases with the power of your LLMs. Now, much of this data, and we, all, I'm sure we'll come to this as well, especially conversational data um, mm. in terms of the use cases where we see large language models being applied, is unstructured. And so we're seeing the rise of technologies like vector embeddings, which, you know, vector embeddings can encode the semantic meaning and unstructured data. Examples like in the retail world are product descriptions and customer service. It's like help desk tickets and all the language that exists there. And anyone that's ever used a conversational assistant, it's in your conversational history, we can take all of this and we can encode that semantic meeting in a vector embedding, which allows applications to then bring relevant unstructured data from your database to the large language model. And this enables a really deep and accurate semantic search, or it enables these conversational, complex history based conversations. And so, one of the technologies that we're seeing a lot of pervasiveness, and one of the things that we're doing as well. Is investing in these vector technologies, but we're doing it in the place where your data already lives, in your databases. For us within Google, we really have put a lot of innovations into our databases by supporting vector databases. I'll give you an example Postgres has emerged as an industry standard in a lot of our relational databases, and it's a standard because of its rich functionality. It's ecosystem of extensions. It has a thriving community. And, you know, according to Stack Overflow, it is the most popular database used by over half of professional developers. So when you think about a database that's used by over half of professional developers, we wanted to be able to innovate around it. And so we took a lot of the vector technologies that I talked about, the vector search technologies that exist in the Postgres open source community, including extensions like PG Vector, and we embraced it to be able to create these expressive, powerful design patterns that are still simple and familiar for people who have built on Postgres. And so we announced something um, called AlloyDB AI that um, takes a lot of these Postgres capabilities that we have in the community and we've innovated further on top of that. You know, we, we heard a lot from our community that we need to be easy and integrated. We need to be able to run everywhere. We need to be able to perform in everywhere. And so we introduced LODBI, which is our PG Vector Compatible Vector Search. And this is, get this, 10 times faster than standard Postgres. And it also allows customers to create these vector embeddings within their database fully integrating with the AI ecosystem and doing so where you can run it, not just in Google cloud, but you can run it anywhere.
0: Well, listen, I, luckily for me, I actually have some semblance of understanding of what you were talking about because uh, back in the day when social search was all the rage and people wanted to understand using. um, So I worked at a social media management company and Customers were always asking us, like, "What are our customers saying about us?" And for a lot of products and services, it was quite easy to do uh, just through Boolean search. Uh, that's how antiquated we are. Uh, and when I said this, just through Boolean search, it was super easy for certain products, super easy. But the one of the hardest ones, it was so hard, we could never figure it out. And then ultimately, we generated too many false positives um, for or false negatives for uh, the customer to be pleased with. Was the movie industry because they said, I don't really care about the feedback of the movie, I care about the experience, I care about the seats, the service, the food, the screen, the sound quality. So, you know, when someone said, Hey, that was disgusting, what are they talking about? The movie? Because if it's a horror movie, it might be kind of good. Like they they want to be disgusted, or it's a raunchy comedy, disgusting might be a good thing. And it was so hard to identify meaning and understanding. The thought that I could manually tag it by line by line is sad. I don't want to do that. So that you're telling me that we're talking about understanding semantics within language. I can see it clear as day because I remember getting these requests from our customers and being like, I do not know how to f-. me and our, our guys, be like, we like, we cannot figure this out.
1: <laughs> well, this is why prompt engineering is really important too, in this world of like yeah. you've got to feed it, like the right kind of context to be able to get that answer. And that's where a lot of the vector um, search and semantics kind of play a big role.
0: Huge. When people are not in this industry or and it sounds like you are because you you hear the use cases of what people want to solve. But like, if you're a developer and you're listening to this, I don't think you realize how unlikely it is that people type in a construct in in a way that is understandable. Like people type in gibberish sometimes, and people give feedback in gibberish and they don't, you know, address every noun or subject of what they're talking about. So there's so much understanding that the human brain does to decipher when someone's talking about what are they talking about. So an example would be like if you owned a car company. A person could be complaining about any number of parts in in the car, right? And so, if someone said, "Hey, I need to understand," because I'm thinking about that generative AI you talked about, like maybe it's the radio where it can be updated via firmware. Like, is there a future where just through the complaints and the vector understanding, you understand that human people are saying, "Hey, the sound doesn't work at this level." The generative engineer company, Gen Eng teams, are then trying to figure out what is the problem. They help identify the problem, then they produce a firmware update and they deliver it in like a record time. Like, that's what I'm imagining that like the future could be. Like, it's, it's crazy to think that if if you could somehow shorten these gaps of understanding and also develop, develop developing a solution, like everything we can, we use nowadays can be updated, you know, <laughs> over the air some way. So it feels like dude, there's so much, so many things that could happen.
1: It definitely shortens the timeframe yeah. that you can do stuff like that for When we see generative AI being used to create new experiences, there are generally three areas that we see that um, happening. And I think you kind of described all of them, but I'll I'll kind of go into all three. Yeah, yeah,
0: label label them. Yeah, yeah, that's better.
1: Because this is the way we think about it and and how we kind of develop some of the technologies underneath to kind of um, support them in the way that enterprises need to. The first is, Um, creating creative content. So this is like based on the discussion you had of creating product based descriptions or doing something with images. But a lot of the times, in fact, one of the use cases we see um, a lot of our customers using is, hey, I'm a retailer and I have like a set of products and those products need great descriptions. And by the way, those great descriptions may need to be tailored based on the different types of clients and client bases that we're in. So we want to be able to generate really descriptive product descriptions of them. So creating creative content and generating creative content is one area where we're seeing generative AI being used at scale. The second is to be able to retrieve specific information, Mm domain-based conversations. This is very popular in the chat world of you want to be able to have understanding and retrieve relevant content based on previous chat history um, and have kind of like a long-term memory and consistency of what's been said. So as an example, when you go back to your bank and you're interacting with your assistant, you want it to know that the last, you want it to know something about your history and about what you've asked it in the past as you're asking new questions. The third area we see is really the semantic search, and and this kind of relates to the use case that you just talked about, which is I want to give you a corpus of data, and the data can be structured, it can be unstructured, it can be in multiple different areas, and I want you to provide a summary on all of the content I've provided, which this large language, I want you to give me a summary of it, and I want you to give me the citations, of where you've had it. And so this is one example of you can throw a whole bunch of data at it and it will give you a really good summary of it. So those are kind of the three use cases where we see generative AI being applied. And of course you can take those kind of things and you can apply it to almost any industry and any use case then. So hopefully that helps.
0: Yeah, no, that helps a lot. For yourself, when you see and envision the future, what do you personally envision? is unlocked in the future because this is always because I'm curious to hear like the, when the, when I get to talk with the makers of the thing, I want to hear what they think in 10, 15, 20 years, you would, you would like it to do what, like, where do you see, you can name a product an industry, whatever it is that you would love to see changed. Where do you think, give us an idea of where this could possibly be.
1: I think we're going to see AI touching almost Every industry, every use case, every application that there is out there, and this is why this whole concept of Gen engine and empowering the developer and the app developer is so critical. Because I think we're going to see this exponential increase of of builders being able to be empowered with these AI experiences. Um, so I, I do think it's gonna it's gonna legitimately transform every industry in positive ways. So, I mean, look, we're using it ourselves. So I talked to you about how we're building technologies to empower generative AI on the database side and this GenEng revolution. We eat our own dog food. Um, and the way oh, yeah. we we call it internally is like we've launched something called Duet AI which mm-hmm. is our always on AI collaborator that uses generative AI under the covers throughout our product portfolio to help our users where they need it. Think about use cases where you're writing code or you're optimizing, in our case, complex database queries. And so we have already launched and preview a lot of Duet AI capabilities in our databases that help help our customers and users really generate code to structure, modify, or query their data in natural language. So you can really simply say, you know, help me understand how many gamers there are on the platform and how many of them are really active. And you can do that in natural language. And what it will do under the covers is it will convert that to a SQL query language that gets executed on your database. And so now what we're doing is we're democratizing the access of things that were very complex to citizen users almost.
0: Was this recently, I think I saw it in Gmail where it said, hey, are you interested in opting in to- um- Help
1: me write. In Gmail, it's called yeah. help me write. And in yeah. Google Cloud, you probably have heard and you will hear a lot more about Duet AI, which is our yeah. always on collaborator for the users in Google Cloud that need it. Um, and so, yes, for, for you as a as you, user of Gmail, you're going to see these technologies and things like help me write. And in Google Cloud, we're going to apply the same power to the data analyst, to the database administrator, to the developer. And it's all going to be our brand for this is Duet AI.
0: I saw it and I've already opted into the Google Labs search, which has... I I still double check and verify, but I'm already being like, man, this is super helpful because now I don't have to open multiple websites to get like a quick summary of what I'm looking for. It's kind of sick. I'm sure the the uh, you know that's a different the actual owners of websites are probably a little bummed out, Uh, but but (laughs) but it's it's sick. The when you were just talking, by the way, I had a use case that I'm currently in right now where it's not here yet, but in the future it can be here based on what you're talking about, and it would be mind blowing. So. I'll share with our listeners, my neighbor's water tank burst and it damaged my uh, my my apartment. And so I had to put it back together. But the insurance company asks you for all these different things, kind of broken. Like, in, in, like they ask for you when they ask for them. And then so if you need an arbiter involved or if you need to escalate to like a legal case or something like that, you as the person have to put it all back together or you pay the lawyer to put it back together. Like you forward emails and stuff and they put it all back together. And I'm thinking like, man, in the future, can you imagine duet you telling it like, Hey, can you take all these conversations between me and person X and put together a sequence of events? That would be so helpful. Like we've, I've spent hours, like hours trying to like retrace like, well, when did this happen? Go get that, get that evidence. It's crazy. It's every time I talk, every time you use an example, I think to another example of like how it would improve my life personally. And so I know our listeners are probably thinking the same thing.
1: Yeah. And I mean, in the Duet AI case, this is really for our constituents that are building their applications, that are creating their data warehouses. You know, I talked about natural language and the conversion to SQL. But one of the things that we really see a lot of in, in the technology space and enterprises is customers that believe that the databases that they're on are proprietary databases. And they want to move Mm. from things like proprietary databases into more open and open source type databases like Postgres that I talked about earlier. And so can you imagine a world where, you know, doing these migrations are complex because you have a lot of code that you have to convert, not just from the database, but from the application layer as well? But it is one of the areas as well where we're putting a lot of effort in our Duet AI technology to simplify these last mile migrations so that you can go from like an Oracle database to a Postgres database. And we will take that last mile where usually you can get tools that get you 80% of the way there. But it's usually that last 20% that takes you like 80, 90% of your time. <laughs> and if we can help with generative AI technologies to take that last 20% and really reduce the time and reduce the risk, we think we'll see a lot more modernization and a lot more transformation on the technology side as well. So it is one of the areas where we're investing a lot of our time, our technology and our efforts in.
0: All right. I got one dream state question scenario for you. And it's a simple, simple answer. Yes or no. You can go into more detail if you want. Do you see a future where migrating a database is as simple as typing in a prompt? Migrate A to B.
1: (laughs) Oh, yes.
0: (laughs) Like that. Do you realize that like how fast that would accelerate the world? You know what I mean? (laughs) Because you could then that's that's literally what's holding back some of the enterprises. We talk with some of the enterprise SIs they talk about all the time. It's like it's it's not even a technology problem. It's a people problem. Like they're not confident. They don't know like they 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 or they're not willing to pay for someone else to do this for them.
1: It's about risk mitigation. This is about using generative AI to mitigate your risk.
0: Yeah, yeah. All those things, you know what I mean? And so like that, so some of the, when you or me as a consumer feel like whatever service provider is moving slow, that risk, it's in there. It's in there. It's part of the reason why they haven't adopted, like in some companies come out with newer services and technologies than others. And uh, if that was to change, then everyone's going to compete at another level. And of course, we as consumers benefit the most.
1: Absolutely.
0: Well, listen, it was awesome having you on the show. I swear every single time you talked about something, my mind just raced probably too far ahead, but uh, (laughs) I can see why someone will be fired up to work in this space. For anyone who's listening and you want to be part of this transformational journey, obviously, we're going to put the link in the show notes below. For Google, we do it for all of our people, the guests, Google careers. We know that you're always looking for great people to join your team to do this. I mean, this is cool. This is super cool. I don't even know how to do it, but it's it's cool.
1: No, <laughs> oh, and it's here, and that's the one yeah. thing.
0: <laughs> Rithika, it was awesome having you on the show. I want to say thanks for sharing what's happening at the database level. Let me tell you something. This conversation was. Easily a hundred times more exciting than I thought it was going to be when I first saw that you were just over a product manager of databases. I just assumed it was just like all the other conversations I've had about database. This was awesome.
1: <laughs> hey, thank you. Well, look, it, it, databases are exciting. We're what facilitates all of these innovations and in enterprise um, generative AI. So the Gen Eng revolution's here.
0: Gen Eng I cannot wait Because I will Directly benefit (laughs) 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 To everyone listening Thanks for joining us today On IT Visionaries I hope you learned a lot Uh, To check it out Check the show notes below We're going to link up Some of the things That Rithika was talking about Uh, Pretty Very very exciting stuff Rithika, Thanks for joining us On the show
1: Thank you